is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, September 19th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, the already contentious fight over Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh is about to get a whole lot uglier. At the heart of the controversy is a last-minute sexual assault allegation, which Kavanaugh vehemently denies. Today, we'll sit down with Kelsey Harkness to discuss the latest developments and what they tell us about where the Me Too movement is headed. Plus, the Emmy Awards go political and get a lot less popular. But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. The Senate Judiciary Committee plans to hold a hearing Monday to hear Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and his accuser, Christine Blasey Ford. There's just one catch. Ford isn't responding to requests to RSVP. In a radio interview Tuesday with Hugh Hewitt, Senator Chuck Grassley, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, said, quote, We have reached out to her in the last 36 hours, three or four times by email, and we have not heard from them. So it kind of raises the question, do they want to come to the public hearing or not? Well, Senator Susan Collins, a key Republican swing vote, says she wants Ford's lawyer to question Brett Kavanaugh on Monday, and she wants Kavanaugh's lawyer to question Ford. She said this approach would provide more continuity, elicit the most information, and allow an in-depth examination of the allegations. But Senate Democrats want more. Senator Dianne Feinstein says she wants to hear from Mark Judge, a friend of Brett Kavanaugh that Ford says was in the room during the alleged incident. She also wants to hear from those who were previously told of the incident and from experts who can speak to sexual assault victimhood. Senator John Cornyn of Texas, who is the number two Republican in the Senate, said of Ford's allegations against Kavanaugh Tuesday, quote, The problem is Dr. Ford can't remember when it was, where it was, or how it came to be, end quote. He also said, per the Washington Post, there are some gaps there that need to be filled. Well, two women who actually dated Kavanaugh said they don't believe his accuser. Maura Fitzgerald and Maura Kane went on Fox News Tuesday and said the picture that Ford painted is completely opposite of the Brett Kavanaugh they know. Maura Fitzgerald, let me, let me start with you. When you heard this account, when you read what this accuser is saying, what went through your mind? What was your reaction? I was absolutely shocked. I just couldn't believe it. It's um, just so polar opposite of the Brett Kavanaugh that I've known for over 35 years. I was confused surprised, shocked, and I still can't believe it. Maura Kane, what was your reaction? The very same. Um, I couldn't believe that these allegations had come out when I had been at the hearings for a couple of days and we just watched woman after woman come forward um, praising Brett and his respect for women and his professionalism and his kindness towards them. And then this, at the last minute, came out. I was equally shocked. I have to say, I don't think there's a lot of guys who have dated two women named Mora. I know, right? I know that's not the point. But... Mora and Mora. Okay. Well, in a statement Monday, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders noted that President Trump wants declassification of plenty of the material related to the Russia investigation. Specifically, Sanders said the declassification included pages from... Quote, the June 2017 application to the FISA court in the matter of Carter W. Page. He, of course, is a former foreign advisor to President Trump. Two, all FBI reports of interviews with Bruce G. Orr prepared in connection with the Russia investigation. And three, all FBI reports of interviews prepared in connection with all Carter Page FISA applications. End quote. 
as well. Trump ordered the Justice Department and the FBI, Sanders says, to publicly release all text messages relating to the Russia investigation without redaction of James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Bruce Orr, end quote. Trump himself spoke about the matter Tuesday, talking to reporters via ABC News. Well, we're going to see. We want transparency. What I want is I want total transparency. This is a witch hunt. Uh, Republicans are seeing it. The Democrats know it's a witch hunt, too, but they don't want to admit it because that's not good politics for them. But it's a terrible witch hunt, and it's hurt our country. And uh, the things that have been found over the last couple of weeks about text messages back and forth are a disgrace to our nation. And I want transparency, and so does everybody else. As you know, congressional committees came to me and they wanted this, and I did it based on their request. But I think it's a good thing because we should open it up for people to see. Well, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has announced the U.S. will cut the number of refugees it will admit in 2019 by a third. This is the second consecutive cut in the number of refugees admitted, bringing the cap for fiscal year 2019 down to 30,000. The previous cap was 45,000. Pompeo said it would be wrong to characterize the refugee ceiling as the sole barometer of America's generosity. In a joint press conference Tuesday, President Trump had warm words for Poland, appearing side by side with Poland's President Andrzej Duda. In our discussions this afternoon... President Duda and I agreed to bolster our robust defense ties. We will enhance cooperation in military relations, intelligence, missile defense, technology, and training. I'm proud to report that Poland has recently purchased a state-of-the-art Patriot missile system, which is a great system. We make the greatest military equipment by far anywhere in the world. And it's made right here in the USA. We are grateful for Poland's leadership on defense spending and burden sharing in NATO. I want to commend Poland for meeting its NATO defense spending obligations, and I'm glad that it plans to increase spending beyond the 2 percent minimum obligation. Thank you very much for that. I'd like to share my gratitude to the people of Poland for their contributions to NATO's resolute support mission in Afghanistan and the coalition to defeat ISIS. Well, L.A. could soon be launching a war on fur. Yes, that's right, animal fur used in clothing. The city council is considering a proposal backed by animal activists to ban the manufacture or sale of fur in the city. West Hollywood and San Francisco already have fur bans. Los Angeles would become the largest city in the world to ban fur if the ordinance passes. Must be hard to get fur back in your hometown, Kate. I mean, there's also no need for it. It's so warm. <laughs> I never understood why anyone wanted a fur coat until I moved. Isn't to it the cool in the Bay Area? Uh, San Francisco is a little bit chilly, but not generally so chilly that you would need fur. I mean, there's no snow or any of that nonsense. No. But so you have to go on the fur black market. Uh, well, it sounds like you could wear fur. So if you import, <laughs> okay. you buy it on you Amazon. Put- even a big fan of fur. I don't know why I'm getting so worked up over this. <laughs> um, if you've ever had a craving for Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, and I am guilty of that, you know the beloved fast food chain isn't open then, giving its employees a truly restful Sunday. However, ABC 11 reports that Donovan and Nikki Carlos, who own a Chick-fil-A in Garner, North Carolina, work this Sunday. 
to help Hurricane Florence victims. Their restaurant made 1,200 chicken nuggets and a few hundred sandwiches and delivered them to the Red Cross to be given to folks at flood shelters. That's so cool. I, re- I remember seeing them do something similar in at the Atlanta airport. I think there was a issue oh, yeah. a few months when ago. Oh, yeah, people were stuck there. Yeah, they were stuck there, uh, which is awesome. I mean, as a former Chick-fil-A employee, I'm... I am a bit biased, but I also really appreciated the Sunday off, which Wait, is awesome. I did not know you were a former Chick-fil-A employee. Okay. I worked there for a summer, yeah. We're going to have to work this into the podcast someday. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, some, sometimes you got an emergency like this and you got to help folks out. Yeah. Well, up next, we'll talk to Kelsey Harkness about the Kavanaugh controversy. The accusation from Christine Beasley Ford that Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh had attempted to rape her when they were both in high school comes around the one-year mark of the Me Too movement. Joining us to discuss that movement's future and how the Kavanaugh accusation plays into it, and we should note that Kavanaugh himself has denied this adamantly, is Kelsey Harkness, senior producer for The Daily Signal and co-host of Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook watch show. Kelsey, how does Kavanaugh figure into Me Too? Well, thank you for having me. It's always great to join the Daily Signal podcast. So I think this is a really important question that not many people are asking because rightly so, most of us are focused on the future of Brett Kavanaugh and whether or not he has a future on the U.S. Supreme Court or any court for that matter. But I think in what's playing out in this week and what will play out next week when Um, both Kavanaugh and Ford testify before Congress, it will have a huge implication for the future of Me Too as well. Me Too has brought brought so many women justice Mm -hmm. for for sexual harassment and, and assault against women. And I think that there's been a lack of support for Me Too among some right-leaning women. I'm looking at a poll right now uh, that says 54% of Republicans said that the Me Too movement has gone too far. That's significant. Only 9% of Democrats say the Me Too movement has gone too far. And I think if unless Ford brings new evidence that was not laid out in the Washington Post story to prove that she was indeed, um, there, there was indeed an attempted rape by Brett Kavanaugh, a lot of people are going to really doubt the Me Too movement and conclude that it's actually very dangerous because there is no due process, a simple allegation that is not grounded in evidence that you would see in a normal court system can ruin someone's career and can ruin someone's life. I think that's very dangerous. And I think it really would be sad for the Me Too movement because I would argue it's been so important for women um, in empowering them to bring their allegations forward and um, and and bringing them some sort of justice. Yeah, you know, we've seen um, ye- yesterday at the Emmy Awards, uh, uh, Time's Up, which is one of the big groups that has c- come out of the Me Too movement, um, ha- they, they were giving out these pins that said, um, you know, that they were against Kavanaugh because that they believed his accuser even before evidence has come out. And it just makes you wonder, like, okay, how much of this is actually uh, deciding the case before the evidence is is there? Um, and, and, you know, it's, I wonder about Me Too because 
it seems as though in the last year it's been weaponized for political purposes. And that just seems to me ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm a man, but I think I think that it's not good for women who are victims because you need a movement that can stick up for women that isn't tainted by politics. And once you weaponize it for political purposes, um, people are going to stop believing them. And that's the ultimate question. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We still have to hear from Ford herself. But the real question we have is, is this a serious allegation? Is there evidence that this actually happened? Or is this a case of a woman or a group of people capitalizing on a Me Too story to use it as a political weapon to to prevent Brett Kavanaugh from being confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court? And what's scary is that if if we find out that this really, you know, is being used as a political weapon, as you said, it will cause permanent damage to the Me Too movement. I, 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 I think it's reasonable to conclude that if that happens, I'm not saying it will happen, but if that happens, very few conservative women will be able to get behind the Me Too movement. And I think that would be sad because the Me Too movement again, has been um, has has been very empowering for women to stand up for themselves and seek justice. Right. And I think that is a very valid concern. I mean, from the beginning, it seems that Me Too has been somewhat political. You know, I think a lot of conservatives, you know, wondered rightly, where was the concern about the women who accused Bill Clinton, um, who was accused of rape, actually? That's something that isn't reported very often. You know, we've seen Representative Keith Ellison of Minnesota has faced charges or accusations. Um, Those haven't been reported on nearly as much. So none of this is to say, I mean, you could be an equal opportunity believer that both, um, you know, uh, across the ideological spectrum, there may be abusers. Um, But it does seem unfortunate that Me Too does seem to have its own political slant. Um, And I think, too, I like that you brought up due process because I think on one hand, You know, we do recognize that sexual assault is traumatic to report in a way that being, you know, robbed from is not. It's a very personal violation. At the same time, it does no one service when we don't have due process. You know, um, slogans like believe all women sound great, but in practice, that essentially means like assume all men are guilty. And that's a struggle that, I mean, there are not easy answers to, um, but I really haven't seen Me Too grapple with seriously. And I think it's because that is such a difficult question because on one hand, I think one of the lessons to be learned from this is, of course, uh, for all the men out there listening, things can and will catch up to you if you if you. Um, misbehave or if you sexually harass or assault women, even at a very young age, it can and will catch up with you. But for women, I think there's another important lesson to be learned in terms of responsibility. Um, there, Look, there are laws out there that will protect us, that can empower us to hold people accountable. And if you don't, if, if, if you don't take the steps to report, um, instances of sexual harassment or assault, when it comes to a situation like this, you might not be able to prove your allegations and you're going to face consequences for that. And and so I think they're, again, one of the lessons for, you know, maybe to teach our children and, and grandchildren out there is to tell people to have some sort of documentation, whether that is filing a police report, whether it's 
providing your therapist more detailed notes than Christine Ford decided to. But Although you, I think she is saying she did bring up Kavanaugh's name and the therapist just didn't note it down. But Well, the point is that you you need to document these types of instances if you want to be able to hold people accountable. Because unless we as a society rely on documentation and rely on actual evidence that these instances actually occurred, we're living in really a kangaroo court, which I think would turn into a very unfair society for men where they have no, no uh, no way of proving their innocence. How does Brett Kavanaugh prove his innocence right now when he doesn't actually know the location of this alleged incident? He doesn't know the date. Um, you know, there's 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 different right. accounts of how many people were actually there. Men deserve the opportunity to prove their innocence, just like women deserve the opportunity to bring forth these allegations. Right. And I think that's another way in which if Me Too is serious, um, that they could really help things would be discussing how do we teach women about the importance of reporting right away? Um, I don't want to get graphic, but there is certain physical evidence, which unfortunately needs to be accessed immediately. Um, stuff like that. And how do we maybe make it? Can we train, you know, doctors to be more sensitive? Can we is there a way that we can sort of balance the horrible trauma that many women experience with also making it possible to, for them to have their best shot at their day in court? Can we um, do that? But I think the other thing, too, and, you know, again, the Kavanaugh story sort of brings this up is this movement, you know, I think in many ways has helpfully highlighted how screwed up our current culture is. I mean, stuff like, you know, I mean, I don't want to rip too hard on Kavanaugh and he's denying, you know, everything. But like, why are high schoolers having parties where people get this drunk? Why? You know, I mean, that 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 would have just sort of I mean, I don't know, maybe he never did get drunk in high school. And this is part of the um, untrue stuff. But, you know. This, uh, there was an article in the New York Times on a different note a couple weeks ago where a girl noted that she had a sexual partner who asked her to consent to everything before he did it. And she talked about what that experience was like. And you sort of read that and you're like, this is such like, you know, this is such a culture where we don't put the person first. We seem to put the sexual act first. And how much of Me Too is really showing us that, you know, if there is this sort of intimate sexual action, there should at least be some consideration for the other person. And another question is, in the case of Me Too, how far back are we allowed to go? Mm-hmm. Brett Kavanaugh was 17 years old when this alleged incident happened. I don't think I have the answer right now whether or not that that is, you know, old enough for, you know, that that whether that should um, play a factor. Um, the fact that he wasn't a legal adult. I think there are so many questions. You're right that the Me Too movement and Times Up movement haven't been asking because they have been too busy using their um, movement for political purposes. Case in point, I was on this podcast just a couple weeks ago talking about how the Times Up movement, which is closely associated with Me Too, it was formed as a, in response to it, was out there protesting against Brett Kavanaugh before any of these allegations even came to light. Um, Of course, that's going to ostracize a lot of women and make a lot of women not support the Me Too movement. And again, at the end of the day, women are better off fighting sexual assault and uh, sexual harassment together than apart. We shouldn't have Democrat women fighting it on one hand and then Republicans on the other hand. We need to be together. But time and time again, we see 
demo we see democrat and you know sort of the hollywood liberal really ostracize republican women and and um as a result i think it, it hurts all of us yeah and i think i was happy you know the allegations against um Harvey Weinstein against Louis C.K., against Matt Lauer, against Charlie Rose, you know, allegations that came, it should be noted from a lot of women, not just one, were serious. Um, If they were true, they were really horrendous things. I'm inclined to believe they were true. And I'm glad to see that those men have, um, you know, lost their positions and are now figuring out what they're going to be doing, I guess, with the rest of their lives. Like, I think that's a positive benefit. I would like yeah, I, I think me too, if it, it can stay apolitical, if it can be realistic about the challenges, if it can be sensitive to, of course, not all men are guilty or should be assumed guilty, um, could be a really positive force in our society. So hopefully, hopefully they are wise. And that is why it's not just Brett Kavanaugh on trial next week. It is it is really the future of the Me Too movement. And I think all of us will be watching to see what happens. Well, Kelsey, thanks so much for coming in to discuss. Thank you. Are you into storytelling podcasts that help explain some of today's toughest policy issues and debates? Every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we interview experts, intermingling media clips and personal stories to help simplify issues from a conservative perspective. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, if you want to take the political pulse of Hollywood, there's no better place to do it than the Emmy Awards. The annual ceremony is no stranger to political gesturing, but on Monday, things got especially politicized. One actress showed up in a Nike t-shirt to celebrate Colin Kaepernick. Another actress wrote Stop Kavanaugh on her bare arm, along with a Senate phone number. And perhaps not surprisingly, the the, uh, Emmys received their lowest ratings ever at 10 million viewers. In recent years, it's hit 12 and even 15 million. Um, Kate, your thoughts on why people are tuning out? Well, I mean, I think as we often talk about on this show, a lot of people are turned off by the liberal politics of Hollywood, the lack of lip service, the idea that anyone might have different views or any self-reflection on maybe whether they're a little ridiculous. But I think one of the reasons that the show may have gotten fewer viewers is, you know, when I was looking at the list of awards and nominees, these aren't shows that really a ton of people watch. And my anecdotal evidence for that is our producer, Thalia Ramprasad, who is joining us today, um, is an expert on many things in entertainment. I don't know what the technical term is, but she has not seen most of these shows. Well, I don't think expert is first Aficionado. of all. Yeah, I think that's a, a better... Scholar of entertainment. Absolutely. I'd, I'll take that. <laughs> No, I think uh, you're right. I haven't really seen any of these shows that were nominated. I've definitely heard of them, but I think you're right. They are on these platforms now that are built for mainly just streaming and streaming in large quantities. And the people who do watch are devoted fans. Like you have this this huge following for Game of Thrones. So while I'm not on that bandwagon, I understand the, the massive following behind it because everyone's binge watching TV now. And I would also say on Game of Thrones, I know this is super prudish, but like my understanding is the show is extremely graphic and sexual content and I believe depicts rape and other things, which I mean, I know we just discussed the Me Too movement. It's a little bit weird to me how socially acceptable it is to adore Game of Thrones. But side note there. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I honestly something that that's really ironic to me about the Emmy Awards and 
there's and we saw this last year too, like after the Harvey Weinstein stuff, like Hollywood is the epicenter of so much of this this abuse that we've heard about, and yet they will go to the Emmy Awards and like virtue signal to to each other, and it's just strikes me as extremely ironic and um, a little silly. Right, but I think it is interesting that they are also making what seems to be a determined business decision to focus on. I guess you'd call them prestige shows, like Take the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which um, I would say is uh, appropriate for adults only and goes further than I would. Um, but it's a show that I enjoy. It's about a woman as a comedian in New York in the 50s who's trying to make it. It's by the creator of Gilmore Girls. And Gilmore Girls was actually a show that was always a critic's darling, oh, yeah. but never a popular success. And I think it's interesting that the same producer now has a show winning Emmys. I don't think Gilmore Girls won any, actually. And you have to wonder, is that because the Emmys themselves have become more focused on smaller shows that are prestigious rather than more popular shows? And actually, Les uh, Moons, I don't know exactly how to pronounce Moonves. this. Moonves. Moonves? Yes. Uh, anyway, someday I'll learn all these names. But he, of course, has been taken down by the Me Too movement. But my understanding is under his leadership, CBS was actually trying to produce popular TV shows. And it's sort of interesting to see that those sort of shows, the NCIS, um, et cetera, they're not getting any love at the Emmys. Um, and I wonder if that's something that will change or not or, I don't know, should change. I, I so I also didn't really know many of the shows uh, from this year's, but but that's not I'm, saying much. I like it's also not saying much. But I, as one who has already binge watched the Jack Ryan series, and I will not give a spoiler because everyone should should check it out. Uh, Wait, I can think, you spoil something that's been made into a movie like six thousand times, and there's a bunch of books, or do they redo it? No, because this one's completely new. Oh. It takes a lot of a lot of the storyline is from recent. It's like post Iraq War, post ISIS, like we're not post ISIS. You get into the no, get into the Syria. You get into the ask Trump, he'll say we're post ISIS. Get into it gets into like the Syrian refugee crisis and a lot of the modern stuff that's pretty pretty interesting. But I think that is definitely going to win. But I mean, that's a good example of it's sort of it's got a huge following. As Talia said, it's on a streaming platform. I mean, it's a niche. It's a niche following. But I think that's an interesting point you make, Talia. That that like that's the trend and more and more it's kind of like on social media we self-select ourselves into different like groups who follow different completely different things and so you don't really accidentally <laughs> watch a show that you don't intend to show to watch yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that you mentioned that it should get awards because given the past history of John Krasinski's filmography with 13 Hours, yeah. everyone was saying that that should receive some sort of accreditation and it didn't just because due to the content and the fact that Hollywood didn't agree with what was being presented in the film. Mm. So I I also wonder, will Jack Ryan and shows similar to that receive the awards that they deserve or will it not? Will it continue on to be like things like The Handmaid's Tale? I don't know. I think uh, Jack Ryan's pretty apolitical. I mean, they, they kind of nod. It, it, I won't get in too much into it, but um, there is... Yeah, there's some stuff about like radical Islam, but they also have like a more peaceful side of Islam, and I don't know. I think I thought it was pretty, pretty neutral. I guess we'll see. Maybe there'll be something. Maybe something will come out that we don't expect. All right. Well, we're gonna leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast, brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow.
You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit dailysignal.com.